2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read from verses uh, 3 to 7 tonight. And uh, we started this series last week and we began um, with taking a look at Timothy. Uh, oh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like one, the, the stewards would be really happy to give you one. If you just pop your hand up, they can bring one to you. Uh, they've also got these sermon guides. If you didn't get one on your way in, it's helpful to have this as you kind of track along through the sermon um, because there are gaps to fill in and it gives you an idea of the outline and so on. So last week we were introduced to Timothy, who is basically a good guy, uh, talented, trained, trusted, but a good guy in great difficulty. He's uh, timid and actually quite tempted to give up. Um, avoidance and anxiety have been leading to this kind of dangerous reluctance that Timothy himself has experienced in ministry, in doing the work that he's been called to do. Uh, so he's a good guy in great difficulty, and actually the existence of the church he's pastoring in that place in Ephesus is, uh, is in the balance. And the overall encouragement of the passage that we're looking at tonight, and in fact of the whole book, really, is an encouragement to keep going. Press on and do hard things. And here's why this is helpful for us. Uh, even though we're not in, um, you may not be in pastoral ministry, most of us aren't, but we too struggle with doing the things that God calls us to do uh, we find ministry hard in various ways, and I'm talking about the million various ways that we serve in church life. I wonder if you ever find yourself saying um, of your particular role or ministry or leadership capacity in the life of the church or some of the things that you're involved in, ministry is inherently relational, so you can be easily involved in other people's lives, but sometimes maybe finding yourself saying, I'm kind of struggling with this a bit. I'm, I'm not really sure if I'm cut out for this. Um, maybe even in general, in the Christian life, you can hear yourself saying things like that. You know, not just, I don't know if I'm cut out for this ministry. Maybe as a student, you might be saying, I don't know if I'm cut out for this course. Or as a married person, I don't know if I'm cut out for this marriage. We find things that God calls us to do hard. Well, what does Paul say to Timothy and to us? Basically, that God supplies all that you need to do the work that he calls you to do. It's a massive encouragement to us. And this is what we're going to look at in our text tonight from 2 Timothy. Let's read from verse 3, although we'll be dealing specifically with verses 6 and 7 tonight. So 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Amen. This is God's words. Well, if you look at your sermon guide, you'll see that we have uh, two points tonight. And the first one is this, that 
one of the things that helps us press on in ministry is that we are given God-given abilities. We can keep going when life is hard, when ministry in particular is hard, by realizing that God, we have God-given abilities. So in verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, God gave you a gift. Look with me again. For this reason, in other words, for the reason that we've seen in the past few verses of the fact that he has a sincere faith. Okay, I know you're a saved person. I know you're a Christian. And we know what we've set you apart for. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And here's where we see that God gives believers abilities to do the work that he calls them to do in his church. Um, the New Testament commonly refers to them as spiritual gifts. You'll read about that in the book of 1 Peter, in the book of Romans, uh, in various places, actually. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is a key place where you can read about uh, spiritual gifts. And verse 7 says that each of us has one. Every believer has a spiritual gift. It says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. And it follows on, continues to tell us the reason for them. It says they are for the common good. Suppose you could imagine six of us going to help out um, an elderly member of the congregation, maybe by doing some gardening for them. But there's one lawnmower, two spades, one hedge trimmer, etc., etc. So at the start, you go around, you start handing out the, the, the gardening instruments, if that's what you call them, um, to different people saying, okay, just use whatever you've got and just put it to good use. Now, ultimately, we're all doing different things, but we're doing the same thing. Now, in the work of the church, we all have different gifts, but we're all working towards that same purpose of glorifying God by making disciples, just as he's called us to. Now, what about Timothy? What gift is in question in this particular passage, in this particular book? Well, it's a preaching and teaching gift. And we can be confident of this because um, of what we read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Um, in an earlier letter to Timothy, Paul writes this. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul says to him, look, Timothy, um, I know what your gift is. I was there when the elders recognized it in you. Indeed, that happened in a church context. They all recognized it in you. Everybody knows what your gift is, and so do you. Now, I wonder if you've thought about this yourself. What is your gift? In what way has God helped you to be able to do something within the body of Christ, the local church, that would serve his purposes and the common good of our church family? Now, it goes without saying that there are things that we can all do, like sharing the gospel, like encouraging each other. We can all do that, even though there is a gift of encouragement. But there are some things that we are able to do, um, maybe better than other people can, because we have a special gift and ability to do so. But of course, we need other members of our church family to help us figure out what those gifts are and to help us put them to work. And the reason why we need that is because actually the presence of a gift itself on its own does not mean that it's naturally in use. It doesn't mean that we're actually doing anything with it. 
Gifts like muscles need to be exercised because gifts, I suppose, like fires, as we see in the passage, can dwindle. And that's what Paul says in verse 6. God gave you a gift. He's saying you need to use it. When he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. So through that, we see that gifts, like a fire untended, will dwindle. Um, every Saturday when I was a kid, really young, three or four, my mom would drop me off super early at my grandparents' house when she went off to, uh, to work as a cleaner. And the first thing I would do with my granddad was light the coal fire in the living room. Now, man alive, we needed to as well. Their house was freezing cold. Uh, so they didn't have central heating, double glazing, insulation. I even remember the carpets felt cold. Um, now, the fire, therefore, was absolutely crucial in that home. And my granddad used to say, what do we need, son? First thing he asked me, what do we need, son? Fuel, granddad, I would say. Paper, sticks, coal, matches. He had drilled it into me over many weeks. So we'd build a fire, and I remember always being mesmerized by that initial burners, everything ignited and glazed. And the heat at first with that coal fire blazing was just absolutely fantastic. But that wasn't it for the day. A fire like that dies down surprisingly quickly. So what do we have to do? Well, you have to attend to it regularly. You have to make sure that it doesn't go out. You've got to figure out exactly what the fire needs, which isn't hard. It either needs, it needs fuel of some kind. So whether that's the oxygen that's provided by a good, healthy waft of the newspaper, or some more coal, or sticks, wood, whatever. And it requires some effort in the process. And I think that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. Not with a fire, but with his gift. You're a preacher and you're a teacher, Timothy. You're a church leader, Timothy. And if you remember in the introduction last week, I was trying to explain how Timothy was really reluctant to do the things that he should naturally, routinely be doing in pastoral ministry, faithfully preaching and teaching the Word of God, lovingly approaching those who are not teaching it, but instead teaching something that's aberrant, different, and dealing with that. But he's not. He's shirking those responsibilities because he's afraid. He's afraid. So here in 2 Timothy 1, Paul is basically, having put his arm around his shoulder in the, the previous verses, is now giving him that little bit of a slap to say, come on, you've been gifted for this, so it's time to get on with it. Fan your into flame the gift of God's. Now, what would that look like for you? Maybe you already know what your spiritual gift is. Now, if maybe your gift has dwindled, though, to nothing or gone cold, what do you think you need to do to start using it again? Well, the answer is really simple. You attend to it. It's the same as what you do with the fire. You maybe need to create time and opportunity to use it. You certainly need to fuel it. You certainly need to exercise that gift. Because if you don't, other members miss out. 
we miss out because we're robbed of the gift that God has given you for our common good. You miss out on the benefit and the blessing of what 1 Peter 4 tells us, that when we put to use the abilities and gifts that God has given us, we actually become like conduits or channels of God's very grace. He works that practically and usefully through people like us. And again, what an absolute privilege that is. It's terrible to miss out on that. Now, what difference should it make then for us, knowing that God gives us the courage to do ministry by giving us the ability to do it? How can we get involved? How can we use these gifts? And if you would like to find out how you can get involved in the church family, you can actually go to the Connect Corner tonight, down by the sofas there, straight after the service. There's one or two folks who'll be there who who look after some of the areas of service in the life of the church and be happy to chat to you about spiritual gifts and opportunities to serve. Make the most of that. And that's a good first step for you if you're thinking, do you know what, I know that I'm gifted in some particular way, but I'm not really employed in God's service in some way. So Paul addresses Timothy, his fears, his, the cowardice that he experiences, and, and tries to put some steel in him at first, saying, look, you can get on with this job. You can do the things that God has called you to do because God has given you the ability to do it. And that's the first thing. You've got God-given gifts, Timothy, so use them. The second, and this is our second point tonight, you have God-given help to use them. God-given help to use them. So in verse 7, Paul reminds Timothy of one of the great blessings of believing the gospel, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in us. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, very neatly, can I tell you, he is God. Uh, the Bible shows that he is powerfully at work in creation and in sustaining all things. He's powerfully at work in revelation and revealing the deep things of God to us in some of the most plain and simple but most amazing, incredible, mind-blowing ways. He is stunningly powerful and intimately ours all at the same time. He lives in you if you believe in Jesus. As you can look down the page, actually, um, to is it verse 14, where it says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. That's the gospel. Guard it with the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It's a glorious thought that God now walks with us in the person of his Holy Spirit as we go about our daily lives. There is never a time in our Christian lives when we are alone, never. And he, so he is God, he lives in us, but he, as Paul highlights here in particular, helps us. That's, in, that's actually what Jesus calls him in John 14, when he's promising that when he, Jesus, goes away, he's gonna send someone uh, he calls the Spirit an advocate and a helper. Now, if the one who lives in us is deity, and his role is to fill and enable people to do the things that he is calling them to do, what do you think that that should make us, his people? What do you think it should make us? Well, Paul says, I'll tell you what it doesn't make us, afraid. That's what's behind the words timid there in verse 7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Now, when you read that word timid, don't think shy or reserved. 
Think cowardly. Think fear-driven reluctance. Think of a, a lack of firmness in purpose, not doing what you should be doing. Well, the presence of his and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, does not make us timid. Just the, the opposite, in fact. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives takes people who even feel afraid and makes them courageous. It enables them to take courageous steps in service of God. And there are three words in verse 7 that mark the kind of courage that we as Christians ought to have when we're doing the work that God calls us to do. For the Spirit of God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Let's look at those in turn. Power. The strength to do what God calls you to do on an ongoing basis, even when it's hard. Christian service undoubtedly involves doing hard things. Whether you're a deacon organizing a million unseen things behind the scenes in church life, or a youth leader speaking to a parent about something that one of the teenagers said. Maybe you're an elder facing the prospect of a tricky conversation with a member who's not walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. We need strength to do that, courage to be able to do that. And the good news is that the strength and the courage that we need to undertake those tasks in the ministry that God has employed us to do is already in us. It's already in our possession. It's ours. Timothy had it. But his fear, his reluctance disclosed that he didn't really believe it. His fear then led to disobedience. And the appeal of this passage really is that we, in in the church today don't fall into the same trap. Every, the power that we need to do the things that God is asking us to do is in our possession. So we can get on and do it. Do we believe that? Well, our weaknesses and our fears rush on us at the thought of that. But the question is before us constantly, are we going to take our feelings at their words or God at his? One of the two lies to us. One does not. And God, who never lies, who always declares what is true, is to be trusted in what he says. He gives us power for service. And that gives us courage. But the Spirit not only gives us power for service, but love in our serving as well. Love, that supernatural ability to move towards people you'd rather run away from in order to help them. Now, it's really easy for us to spend time with people and uh, want to be with people when they're lovely, uh, when we get on with them, when the relationship's good, when conversation's open and easy and when the ministry meeting ends with a lovely prayer and everybody was like, that was just a great planning meeting. That was fantastic. It's easy, it's relaxed, it's enjoyable, but it's not so easy to love when members can be cantankerous or slanderous or actually being confusingly wicked. 
It's not so easy to love maybe even the Sunday school class when you, having prepped for a good two nights on a tricky topic, to lead them well in it, you just hear them say about for the fifth time in half an hour, I'm bored, or where are the skills? You've had more than me. But it's not so easy to love the person you've bent over backwards to help when they act angrily towards you over something that actually just seems so small. These are the These are the times when ministry can feel quite hard for us, when leadership can feel difficult, or serving alongside someone can be tricky. Well, God the Holy Spirit works in us something supernatural, and it must be supernatural, to treat with mercy and grace the people who make life hard for us. And actually, who, even when we love them, or as we love them, could rebuff that love and continue to make life hard for us on an ongoing basis, as was happening for Timothy in Ephesus. But the Spirit of God who lives in us supplies us with the power that we need on constant supply to love people with a supernatural love. The Holy Spirit was in Timothy to help him love the people who were hard to love by moving towards them instead of walking away from them. And that was Paul's appeal in 1 Timothy. He's going to pick it up again shortly in 2 Timothy. There are people you need to speak to, Timothy, people that you need to love by telling them to stop teaching what they're teaching, people you need to love by saying to them, brother or sister, you're going down the wrong path here, and I have to warn you of the consequences of doing so. To lovingly call on others to repent and lovingly call on others to be encouraged because they've not been wayward. That's what Paul's encouraging Timothy to do, but he's not been doing that. His reluctance to do so has only revealed his cowardly disobedience. And again, what it means for us today is that we must not fall into the same trap. The same spirit that indwelt Paul and Timothy is in us, and he, in his kindness to us, makes us courageous, giving us both strength and power and love to move towards others, and lastly, self-discipline. Self-discipline. This, uh, it is amazing, by the way. You might think, okay, power, love, self-discipline, I might not have put that number three, but actually look at some of the key lists that you find, whether it's in relation to the marks of godliness or whether it's in relation to qualifications for elder, self-discipline or self-control, it's in there all the time. It's an important virtue of those who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. So self-discipline is this Spirit-given ability to do what you're supposed to do even when in your heart of hearts you just don't want to do it. A lack of self-control will lead you to want to do the opposite of what you're supposed to do. That's what Timothy's doing. He's reluctant. He's keeping back from the ministry tasks that, that he is supposed to be undertaking as a pastor teacher in the church. And he's shrinking back from what he's supposed to do. Suppose it could be like when you have someone in your church upsetting the faith of others, maybe with speculative or outright false teaching. That's what was happening in Ephesus. Ephesus. 
But you know you must speak to that person, but your, your heart, you know what you have to do. You know the right thing to do, but your heart still beats very, very anxiously, even at the thought of it. There's a dread that comes over you. But the Spirit works, the, now, that dread just wants to take control of you, to grab those legs and turn the other way and run, or else just somehow in your brain just conveniently forget or fuzz over the thing or downplay the issue itself so that you can self-justify your ignoring of the matter. But that's not what we do. The Spirit of God works in us the kind of self-discipline that enables us to face situations, not emotionally, but biblically. Not emotionally, where we let the feelings rule, but biblically, where we say, do you know what? If God says that this is what we've to do, then I can't do anything else. It's going to be hard to do it, but I'm going to walk forward in faith, believing with all my heart that God will help me do that. That's what we're called to do. Not timidly, but courageously. And again, Timothy had this in him. But his reluctance to do this work of ministry exposed his indiscipline, revealing that his emotions and not God's word were mastering him. And the appeal is for us not to fall into the same trap. So what have we learned from these two simple little verses We've learned that God gives us the courage to do ministry by giving us the ability to do it. We've been given God-given abilities, so get on with the work. Get on with what you're gifted to do. Don't be reluctant. Don't be disobedient. Exercise those gifts. That's the second thing. God gives us the courage to do ministries, do ministry by giving us divine help to do it. You have God-given gifts use them. We have God-given help. Get on with it. What actually is there to hinder you? And the same is absolutely true for us as it was for Timothy. Um, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. It says uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we have God-given gifts, and we are to employ them as that same passage said, as I mentioned earlier, for the common good. So we can get on with it. There's good to come by us being used of God in his service in whatever way. Whether you are stunningly good at preaching, but reluctant to explore training. Whether you're very, very gifted at being able to lead a small group of people in Bible study, but you keep saying no when you're asked. or whether you are outstandingly, freakishly, weirdly good at administration. And yet you're not using that gift, you're doing something else. Or maybe when we realize that there are plenty of opportunities to serve in the life of the church family, in both informal ways and formal ways, and yet we just kind of keep ourselves back because we're busy doing other things. The local church just, we haven't quite seemed to grasp the place of the local church in God's eternal plan to bring people from darkness to light. 
the centrality of what happens when we serve one another in love and equip one another with the necessary tools to do the disciple-making ministry that he calls us to do. I don't think there's a week goes by where I don't speak to a ministry leader who says, we're really struggling for leaders. I'm actually really quite, find it quite hard to find ministry leaders. It's constant. Now that could show that there's something organizationally wrong, that we've got too much on, or it could also show that we don't have enough people stepping up to serve. That could be the case. Maybe God's word would challenge you tonight to think about the question, what can I do as the person God has made me to be with the gifts that he has given me to serve his purpose in this world through this local church? Maybe you can ask that question. And maybe you can do something about that tonight. You can go to the connect corner straight after the service, talk to the person there about your gifts where you might serve. As I said, there are plenty of opportunities. There'll be an opportunity to pray down here at the front with someone. The prayer team will be here. Maybe you might have something to confess or asking for help to identify what your gift might be or to ask God to fill you with his spirit so that you can grow in courage and not be timid or cowardly as Timothy was. Please do make use of that. And speak to the leaders, the elders in the church. We'd be happy to talk to you about these kind of things. Um, ask me about some book recommendations afterwards if you want to look into it um, over a longer period. But there is one thing that we must all do, is, and that is to look to Jesus. Because he is our wonderful savior and our wonderful example all at the same time as well. There is, I don't know about you, but there is nothing that so fills me with courage and enthusiasm and strength and love and self-discipline like turning my gaze on Jesus Christ and thinking long and hard about how he lived, what he did, and what it meant. If you spent time doing that, even in a momentary sense, we'll see that he is the ultimate man, not of timidity or cowardice, but of courage. So filled with the Spirit as he walked this earth, so filled with the Spirit who enabled him for service to exercise power and love and self-discipline to the most perfect level, giving him the strength to do that hardest thing of all, to go to a cross, giving him a love so supernatural that he would willingly give up his own life for our salvation, to rescue us from our sins, and giving him this self-discipline to endure without bailing the brutal and unjust punishment of people, and to ongoingly, to the very end, serve the purposes of God the Father that they had set out in eternity past. He is wonderful. He is our example. And above all, he is our savior. Jesus Christ invites you to come. Even if you feel crushed at the fact that you have not been serving with the gifts that you have been given. He invites you to come 
and say sorry under the promise of his welcoming grace. Because Jesus died for our lack of service. He died for the likes of Timothy's cowardice. He died for the kind of feeling-driven fears that stop us from serving God in the way that we ought to. And he does away with them by his blood and holds out to us not only grace for forgiveness, but a reminder again of his spirit who energizes every effort and work that we do for him. It's not done in our strength. It never has been. It never will be. His grace, his power, is what supplies our every work, and it never runs out. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I'd love to talk to you more about Jesus. I'd love to give you a Bible, actually. I'd love to give you a Bible and to give you a place to start where you can read more about the life of Jesus. I'm going to be down here at the front afterwards. If you would like that, you don't really have to come and talk to me. If you want it, just come and take it. But I'm happy to chat if you would like to. I'm going to put a little sticky note in there for where you, where you could start off. If you want to get a better idea of what the local church is all about and why it's so vital, I've got two free books to give away. What is a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. They really help to set for us a focus on the local church as a key part and a key of what God is doing in the world, a key place in which we do ministry. And we would be, I thought I had more books. I didn't have it. I don't have any more books. That's fine. Happy uh, to talk with you and pray let us not be timid. Let's fan into flame the gift that God has given us. He is gracious to give us gifts and to help us put them to good use. Adam's going to come and lead us in a time of response. Thanks, Liam. If we could get the next slide up, that'd be great. Just as we've done in uh, last week and, and previous weeks during the discipleship um, series, we're going to take some time to respond. So some questions up there for you to uh, reflect on. We're going to take five minutes and uh, just reflect on these questions and turn them into to prayer and then I'll pop back up. So take some time just now. <laughs> 